welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, adventurers, to episode 40 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast, uh, season two, starting on a side quest. My name's Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And King Scott, I gotta know, what is your favorite video game ever? Uh, I would have to say it's uh, Goldeneye from the N64. Did you pick Odd Job? Oh, no, 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 no. I was always Bond, but oh, I just love sneaking up behind the Russian agents and I'm popping them in the back of the head. Such a good time. Wow, I should go see my therapist about that one. <laughs> Boy, that, that was all the right. You know what? I didn't have a 64. I had a PlayStation and my friends would invite me over and naturally they'd all want to play GoldenEye. And mm-hmm. they were all like wizards at the game because that's what they played. I didn't have it. I didn't have a 64. So they'd yeah. be like, come on, pal, you got to play, you got to play. And like, I couldn't figure out what I was doing. Like, I'd, I'd move around and say, oh, I think I picked up a gun. How do I reload it? And then somebody's like, oh, I killed you with the golden gun. <laughs> oh, you got a glob. It's like, guys, I don't even play this game. Come on. <laughs> well, Scott, we scheduled this side quest because we're talking Borderlands, Mr. Torg's Arena of Badassery. Now, you haven't played Borderlands, have you? I have not. I've seen a lot of it, and I've heard a lot of people go on about how great it is. So... I might have to make a change in that. Oh, I'd love to show it to you. Well, you know, for uh, listeners, for those of you that aren't aware, uh, most people have played Diablo. So if you're not big on video games in the last, I don't know, 15 years like me, you've probably played Diablo at some point where you have random loot being dropped. Take that system and put it into a first-person shooter like GoldenEye, for example. So when you kill an enemy in GoldenEye, instead of them like... It's pre-generated, like, this guy drops health, this guy drops nothing. Instead, take a weapon. What kind of weapon? I don't know. Random number generator determined it was a pistol. Does it have any special abilities? RNG determines it has electroshock. Does it have any drawbacks, etc.? So every single thing is kind of unique. If I get an early Hyperion pistol in the game and you get the exact same pistol... They're going to have different stats. Yours might do more damage. Mine might have higher accuracy. Yours might have an element damage that it adds, like some fire damage upon impact. Just a phenomenal game with a ton, a ton of story in this world that they've created. It's the, the long answer. That's my favorite video game of all time. Maybe tied with Final Fantasy VII. I don't know. But nevertheless, I saw that they had this Kickstarter coming up, and I was like, Scott, 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 started, <laughs> he started shaking you. And that's why I, I just can't wait to get the chance to play this. But you and I got to talking a little bit about board games and video games. And you know what? We're neither of us any, neither of us are, are video gamers, really. We've gravitated to board games, and we got to thinking, why do you think that is? Yeah, I used to play video games, but something clicked in my head that I was just spending a lot of time with myself. Now, once again, I'm a little bit older, so I didn't have all the online playing and stuff like that. So whenever I was playing video games, you're stuck at home playing your console, and that's pretty much about it. Mm -hmm. So it just put it on channel three. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Switch the thing on the back. Turn the dial. (laughs) But uh, there was just a lot of times I felt like I was just taking my time and not really getting any sort of human interaction. I wasn't 
having that time with friends and things like that. I was just hunkering down in my room and playing that little game. I was becoming a hermit almost. It can become awfully lonely, uh, especially prior to internet. And you know what? Even with the with the internet now, I I haven't played much online gaming, but from what I have, it's still you know you can hear people. But if you're not like plugging in with your friends and people that you know, and you can talk and BS about your day, it's still very surface level interaction. Also, not having that face to face connection, mm-hmm. a lot of times things can come out that you really don't want to come out. I mean, there's a lot of animosity that can come out towards people and things like that. Where if you're face to face, yeah, someone's going to slug you in the, in the jaw <laughs> if you say something like that. The hostile environments created around playing Mario Kart online. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter will go to the living room. Not now, honey. Mommy's Mario Karting. <laughs> <laughs> you know that comes through for uh, Magic the Gathering online too. Now they have ways that you can report players, you know, that, that are typing in things rude, but they can't even talk to you on Moto, for example. But man, people would. Uh, I, I guess it's really easy to get really frustrated. You know, you only oh, have yeah. yourself yeah. And, and your own skill and, and whatnot. It's. Uh, I hear. Now, what do you think is a good board game that's come from a video game? Oh, there's a bunch. There's definitely a bunch. Uh, a couple that stick out for me are, um, I think, This War of Mine. Uh, Awakened Realms took that one on, was was very well done. And, mm-hmm. and XCOM as well. And you know what? They're very good tabletop imp- implementations of a board game. But, you know, we always say, like, well, a board game is immersive. This game's immersive. It's one of our eight bits whenever we break down a game. Right. And it's one of the stark differences between a video game and a board game. The video game gives you all that color and the movement and the interaction between you and and how you're playing with the game, music on top of it, story that's evolving that you don't know what's coming up next. They're truly interactive. And I think sometimes the best board game implementations of a video game, I think sometimes that occurs when the game developer says, you know what, I know that I can't provide music. I know that I can't give them this first-person shooter experience or put them in in the skin of this person. But I can still give them a quality game with quality mechanisms that still are thought-provoking. And, oh, well, a game like this War of Mine does that. What do you think? I don't really have had that much experience playing video games that have become board games. But one that I did was Doom. And Doom is always, I mean, I've always thoroughly enjoyed that game whenever I played it. And it's, it is it is immersive. I mean, you get into that and you just feel claustrophobic while you're playing that. Mm-hmm. And it was great to see the game come out and you see the demons coming up on the board. It was same but different. You got the same feel of shooting things and trying to make sure you live. But you got to see everything at once so you knew where things were. So... You still had a good time playing it, but it just didn't do the same thing. So each one had their good parts and bad parts. And that's not to say that every transition to the tabletop is necessarily a good one. Now, I'll hit you, Scott, with three games that I haven't played on the tabletop, and I haven't played them because the reviews all say they're not good. I'll start with Dark Souls. The black box, the big box Dark Souls. Didn't get a a lot of really good reception for that when they said, oh, there's some broken mechanics, there's some, you know, poorly written rule book. Jury's still out on Horizon Zero Dawn. I've played that that video game for literally two days. I'm not going to pretend like I, I know much about it or, or the environment, but so far reception has been kind of mediocre. But the mm-hmm. one that sticks out 
is Mega Man because I wanted Mega Man to be good. The moment oh. I found out that there was a Mega Man board game, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This has to be absurdly good. It's not. And I'm not even going to try and find out. I've watched a couple reviews, a couple videos, and I thought, nope, 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 nope. Not touching that with a 10-foot pole. That is such a shame because that is such a fun uh, video game to play there. I mean, it's simple. It's very intuitive how to play the game. And you would think it would be something that would be easy to be implemented into a, uh, a board game. Have you ever seen Shovel Knight? It was like a downloadable game that they turned into an actual, like, you could buy the CD for it. it it's like an 8-bit or 16-bit side-scrolling game, and you're a knight, but your weapon is a shovel? Nope. That's really hard. I have no clue of that at all. Well, they made a board game for it, and I was like, <laughs> it's a side-scrolling board game of Shovel Knight. I must have this. You don't want to hear about that, Vault Hunter. You want to hear about loot and packs and explosions. I'm Tori, and I'm here to ask you one question, and one question only. Explosions! Hey, whoa, whoa. Easy there, Mr. Torque. We're just trying to do the show. Well, Scott, we could go on and on talking about what makes a video game transition to the tabletop successfully in our minds, but that's not what we're here for today. A couple weeks ago, I was a little disappointed because we were all set up to talk Skyrim, and it just fell through, and it's like... The clouds opened up and a ray of sunshine Mm -hmm. hit us when I saw that Borderlands, Mr. Torg's Arena of Badassery would be on Kickstarter. And I thought, we have got to get in touch with John. This has to happen. Let us talk with John and find all about the badassery that is in Borderlands. This is gonna be sick! Fans, I don't know about you, but I'm so close to the edge of my seat that the chair is practically irrelevant at this point! Today we welcome game designer and vault hunter John Kovaleski. This is a name that should be familiar as some of John's previous design credits include Star Trek Ascendancy, Firefly, and Spartacus. We have John with us today as Monster Fight Club has teamed up with Gearbox to bring us... Borderlands, Mr. Torg's Arena of Badassery. Well, John, let's start here. You've been a part of some huge games, amongst them Star Trek Ascendancy, Firefly, Spartacus, uh, as mentioned before. Uh, Was there some sort of a previous relationship with the Borderlands IP, this video game, prior to taking on this project? Pure fandom. Yeah? Yeah, I've I've been playing since the very beginning. Now, Borderlands is one of my all-time favorites as I was going through. Um, in my, my early days, I was a, I'm actually a sailor by trade. I'm a graduate of the U S merchant Marine Academy. And I was a captain in the merchant Marine. I sailed ships all over the world. One of the tattoos that I almost got was the borderlands logo right up on the shoulder with that. I sobered up in the gear. It didn't happen, but, uh, you never know. So how did your love of the video game turn into, I want to like, did you have to pursue gearbox or, or did they have, I mean, I'm sure it isn't an open audition. Uh, this, uh, you know, we, we got to go back, back away. So, so when I, you know, when I said I was a sailor, that was, I graduated school back in 1991. That's when I graduated from the Academy. So I'm, I'm freaking old. And, uh, <laughs> first, you know, the first Gulf war was going on and back in college, my, one of my best friends in the world, Matt York, he was one of the all time winningest players in the old Warhammer series. So he would, he was winning all the GTs back in the day. 
when we were shipping, an engineering buddy of ours got really into lasers. Now, this is back in the late 90s. So lasers were brand new. You know, a laser engraver you can buy for $100 now. Oh, a laser engraver. I was going to say, how does someone get yeah. into so, so, lasers? So these, you buy a laser today for, you know, two grand. Back then it was 50 grand, 100 grand. Oh, my goodness. Being a sailor during the war, there was a lot of money being thrown at people to keep them out there for a long time. Mm-hmm. So um, when I got home and I got married, I thought briefly about starting up a company doing, you know, trophy shop sort of thing. Okay. And and uh, so I went and got a laser and my wife was going to help out with the laser, with that and whatnot. Your wife and, was okay uh, with you spending that kind of money on a laser. <laughs> I was doing pretty well. Oh, well, good for you shipping at the time. And um, what ended up happening was that business didn't take off anywhere. So I had this really expensive piece of equipment kind of sitting around in the basement, not doing a whole lot of stuff. Situation came up. I went back out to see, came back home. My buddy from school, Matt, he's like, hey, since you got this really cool laser, let's see if we can like etch some stuff on some shields for my little Warhammer guys. Yeah. So so we started doing that. And then um, he's like, oh, why don't we get some plywood and we'll make some movement trays. So we made some movement trays. And we were doing this before anybody was doing it. There weren't even plastic templates really out when we were first starting for Warhammer. Because it was, you'd have to, you know, you would take the paper from the back of the book. And you would print it out and you could print it out on plastic and you could cut it. So we we started cutting this stuff out. And it was funny because having, having Matt, have all this stuff was kind of like having Michael Jordan wear your shoes because he was winning and everybody's like, where'd you get this stuff? This is great. Some of your people might not know. They might know from the titles, but um, you know, I founded Gale Force nine. That was, that was my, that was my business that I started in my basement with that laser back in 1998. And um, we were the first people around making laser engraved anything before anybody was doing it. Our big thing was, it really was those Warhammer templates because they really weren't out there. And so, you know, I had my blast and my little blast and my round blast and the other side of it. We laser engraved a hole in the center of it so we could put a string through it so we wouldn't lose them. So you had them all together. And in the process of doing that, we threw it down one day and it landed and looked like an ice cream cone because you had the, you had the piece come down and had the syrup and this light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, that's a multi template. And the multi-template was created. And we created the multi-template. So you had your, your three-inch round, which was at the end of your blast or at the end of your flamer. Then you had your five-inch round that went around it. And then we're like, oh, let's do some 45. So we got our arc in there and stuff. So we were the first person to do it. And we took them out. And going back to some guerrilla marketing back then, I was an outrider for a little while. And my buddy, Sean Swaggart, at the time, was the guy driving the battle wagon. That was his concept. So he was driving that around. And when I would be off of the ship, he's like, dude, why don't you come out and hang with me for a while? You know, we'll go road tripping for two weeks and you get Compton GW product. And so my collection got huge. But what was great about that was I was fanboy. So I was just having fun and I was I was relatively young. So gaming wasn't a thing for me yet. This was just hobby. Between sure. that and my old Tempest Magic cards, you know, so I'm dating myself back there. See, all this you while know, you're appealing to Scott with the miniatures, and then you say Tempest Magic cards, and like, okay, now we're on the same page. <laughs> so, so that's that's dating me. So when I would ride with him, I would take my templates with me, and I would accidentally leave them behind in the store, 
and it had my website engraved on it. <laughs> and we ended up populating the East Coast and leaving these things behind. And then they would find them and people would like ping me and whatnot. And now I'm going to date myself again. So if you go back in that time, Game or Games Workshop had something called the War Without Enley. That was this really cool thing that hung up on the wall. Guess who made that? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> we did. It was it was our concept that we pitched to Games Workshop and they ended up buying the concept and they ended up buying hundreds of these things and putting them in stores all over the country. So my my marketing idea at the time as I'm seeing this happen was, well, if the store if all the stores are going to get these, then why don't I give everybody 30 free laser engraved name tags? So that they can play the tournament and do it. That way the store, Games Workshop buys it for me for X. The store buys it for 2X from Games Workshop. And then the store can sell a ticket into the league for each one of these. So they would auction. So everybody profits. They can make their so money. Yeah. Everybody. But then it was a way that the store could run a self-propelled league without having to focus on it. But here's the brilliant part in my mind. I now had Games Workshop send out my league system to all of their stores in the country. And anybody that contacted me had to be a store in good standing. <laughs> so I immediately gave them a, a wholesale account and said, hey, if you want to do it. And then I said, hey, these really cool templates and stuff that we create, if you'll buy them in lots of 10, I'll put your store logo on it. Because you already got the laser engraver, easy enough, yeah. And we ended up selling... <clears throat> Well over 100,000 of these. You know, I had an idea one time for uh, like a, a piece of spaghetti, like a string that you could wrap around a sub so that when you take a bite on one end, all the meat and stuff doesn't go out the other end. So, you know, we're both uh, creative minds. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it all works out good. So Gale Force 9, a lot of people don't know that the, the name Gale Force 9, it, it's from my sailor background. I had a buddy of mine saying, oh, my God, you guys are kicking butt like a hurricane. And I'm like, we're not quite a hurricane. Not quite a hurricane is Gale Force 9. Okay. Gale Force 10 is a hurricane That's on a hurricane scale. But yeah, we drew up a logo. We, um, we got a three-digit domain. I remember the first 20 bucks that came in on the website. And you know, it turned into a hobby that we would just kind of access when I wasn't shipping. It was never meant to be a company. It was a hobby that got out of hand. And yet now here you find yourself uh, with, like I said, these design credits to some phenomenal games and Borderlands now, you know, we, we've, we've come to this one. Yep. So fast forward, you know, years later going into it, we did all this cool stuff. We did stuff for, you know, Privateer Press. We've done stuff for D&D. We did all that kind of stuff going up. And we were always the kind of Switzerland. I didn't want to really make games because I didn't want to compete with the people that we were making accessories for. So I kind of ran that middle line down the road. And then um, eventually I had a, an opportunity uh, for Battlefront when they purchased the company. So um, they purchased it. And in that process, um, I had, I think Spartacus first came out. So the show came out. We had an, I had an idea for a gladiator game. And then after watching the show, it really wasn't about the gladiators. It was, it was about the intrigue of the houses dealing with each other. And Sean, that same guy who was driving the battle wagon, he is a gaming genius. And between him, myself, and Aaron Dill, another ex-GW guy, we all hung out and played games and we kind of put this thing together. And I had no idea how to pitch it or anything. 
So I got online. I'm like, how to get this? And it just happened to be the week before the licensing show in Vegas. And it happened to <laughs> pop up. That. And I'm like, hey, look, the stars is there. I should go and check it out. Showed up. And I walked in and there's this 60 foot banner of Spartacus standing there over the, the thing. And I and I walked over and I introduced myself and they love tabletop and they wanted to kind of do it. Neither one of us had really had a big licensing deal before. And we're like, what's it worth? I don't know. And it was kind of a, I don't know, 10 percent, 10,000. I don't know. We're like, sure, let's do it. And we took it to Gen Con with zero expectations other than we printed a couple thousand of them to see if it would work. And that was a lot of money back then. First day we sold a couple hundred. And we're like, oh man, we're going to eat this. And then that night as we walked around, we saw people playing. It. And then the next day we sold half of what we brought. Oh, Third day we were sold out yep, and Alliance the rest came by. Them. And Alliance came by and says, hey, we'll take 4,000 copies if you got it. And I'm like, oh. You say, we so, can get it. Yep. So we took that. And after that was done, Sean's daughter at the time was like, all right, games are easy. How hard could this be? What's what's the next one we should do? She's like, you guys should do Firefly. Firefly is awesome. And we're like, Firefly is cool. So I just mm-hmm. came, you know, I had this book with movie studios. So I looked up Fox and I called them up. And they're like, oh, this is a dead license. We're not even doing anything with it. And I'm like, well, I got a game idea. So they gave me their lowest level licensing person. And again, the deal was literally, hey, 10%, 10 grand, see what would happen. The first royalty check was a three or a six figure deal. And the fandom blew up. And then after that, it was like, what else do you want? And once you've done one or two good ones, they're like, I'm really into Sons of Anarchy, so here's Sons, you know. I like Family Guy, here's Family Guy. Yeah, some of those IPs cool. that are off limits or expensive, suddenly they, they're pushing them towards yeah. you. Like, here, so make us we, money with this one. Yeah, so we were, we were really the first people, in my opinion, that were able to license a property and not have the game suck. And yeah. people were kind of blown away by, oh my God, this game is good. And then we had people like uh, Charlie Teal and some other guys, some well-known reviewers that are out there who latched on and said, you guys are awesome. This is really neat. We ended up doing really good from that. So I know a long way to get to Borderlands. So let's fast forward. For years, I wanted to do Borderlands. And I would ask, and no, we're not doing that. I'd ask, no, we're not doing that. I'd ask, we're not doing that. I had kind of given up. It was something that I wanted to do. There was a role-playing game being worked on and some other deals that were happening. Eventually, COVID hit, but... You know, we were doing Cyberpunk before that. So Cyberpunk Red, um, our Combat Zone game, which is, that's going to fulfill here really soon. Our other two Kickstarters that are out there, which is our terrain, which we're known for our trees and stuff. So we did two more terrain Kickstarters, and I'm happy to say that both of them are on the water right now. Finally, after three months of trying to get a space on a ship that wouldn't bankrupt you. So they're on the water. They're supposed to be hitting the hitting here in the States in January, which is exciting. But uh so back to Borderlands. So COVID's going on. Licensing shows aren't happening except virtual. So I check it out online. And what's funny is there's this wonderful company called Retail Monster. And Retail Monster is a licensing company. So they're a licensing agent. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're a monster. I'm a monster. We should be friends. I Literally, that was my <laughs> intro sort of thing. And I'm talking and I'm like, oh, you guys do Borderlands. I've always had this idea for a Borderlands game. And I pitched it. They came in and we talked numbers and I said, I think I could do this. And then I'm like, you know, I really want to kickstart it. And they're like, ah, I don't know. 
this whole crowdfund thing. You don't need to do that. I'm like, in my board game world, it's kind of what you do. It's the premier way. Yeah. Yeah. In, in a world of 1500 games a month, you need to get noticed or you can't even sell it because nobody will buy it from you unless you have any sort of, you know, street cred. And I had Gale Force 9 street cred, but it wasn't my business anymore. So now we're Monster Fight Club. You know, we're brand new. Nobody knows who we are. We're still trying to build the brand. They took a chance on us. Yeah. And Mr. Torg's arena badassery was born. We threw the concept at them, told them what we were thinking about doing, showed them that we are really good at miniatures. And it sounds like that Gearbox is really into tabletop. Oh, cool. So they have a full game room. And, you know, I hear they have like a Warhammer table and all kinds of stuff set up. So they're really into D&D, well, you know, from the games and everything else. They're into role play and everything else. They gave us a chance and we, uh, we threw it out there and everybody was like, well, we have no idea how this is going to do. I'm like, I know what I need to do in order to pay for it. So we set our goals and whatnot and we throw it out there and um, we're 23 hours right now, $678,000, backers in the first day. Said I messaged you in the email. I was like, I'm going to try and be backer number one. I forgot about it until it was like 2.04. I was four minutes late and I was backer like number 1,000. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, it was crazy. Yeah. No. And, was and, wonderful. And, we, and we completely funded. A lot of people assume it's like, you know, you're not answering my questions. You're not, you know, how come, why did you do this? And you get 4,000 people asking you questions really quick and they don't realize that you know, Monster Fight Club is seven people. Mm. You know, there is so much work and we are we are literally still editing video and changing graphics and finalizing approvals, you know, hours before this thing goes live. Yeah, and, we initially you know, wanted to have you on Wednesday, but you said, oh, we, we're pushing back a little bit. I got to get uh, get a few more things finalized. Definitely uh, felt the pressure of that countdown to launch, huh? Yeah, what ended up happening when we got to the point there were a couple of things that I wasn't happy with mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know what? Let's hold off. Let's let it go. Another 48 hours from now, I think it's going to be better. And most of what we did was we completely reworked this video two days before. I like the video. It is nothing like the original <laughs> one and put it out there. And right now that seems to be the most Kickstarters I've ever done in the past. Um, most people don't watch past 30 seconds, which cracks me up on a video. <laughs> So this one's a minute 30. Um, a lot of people put five minute videos and they never get even watched. Nah, keep it quick. Um, and uh, we were actually talking to the uh, the voice of Claptrap about possibly doing our how to play videos. Oh, sweet. We're done. Now, John, as far as I can tell, the game's going to be a full co-op experience and playing some of your older games and everything. Each one has been completely different. Now, is this going to be able to be played solo or are there any additional game modes planned for it? We intentionally made every game we ever did different. We did that. Let's do something else. That was really our attitude. You know, when we did Star Trek, it was like, we want to do an accessible 4X game. We want to do a game that was, you know, Twilight Imperium, but didn't take you four hours to set it up. Yeah, I love that game. So good. So on this one... For the people that might might know our um, cyberpunk combat zone, we use what's called the reaction system. It's actually a really fast, quick, easy to look at visually way of playing a miniature game 
without needing tables and charts and all kinds of other stuff. So in essence, you have a character who has a card and he's got stats. So you have the six different stats. And of those, you can drive them with actions. Those actions are green actions, yellow actions, and red actions. If you have a green action, that means flip it over. It's almost like, you know, making mana in magic. And you create this green energy that is worth a green D12 or it is worth the measurement of a green distance. Okay. That is all you need to know about it. Hmm. Because we're like, no, we want this on a table. We want it more accessible to people. One square is red. Two squares is yellow. Three hexes, in this case, is That's your green. green. Mm-hmm. Then you have beyond green, which is long range. And then you have what's called within reach, which is in the same zone. That's your melee. So stuff. there are effects, weapons that have certain ranges. There is close combat that you have to be in reach in order for it to work. Mm-hmm. There are sniper guns that aren't effective at close range that only work at long range, which is beyond green. And that is all there is to it. So if you if you have a green action, you say, I'm going to take my green dice. You roll your green dice. Take that D12 that you rolled. If you have a shooting stat, you add that single number to it. Done. Now, on the receiving end, whoever's being shot at, if it's a character being shot at, he will also have an action that he has to bet against it. Mm -hmm. So if he says, I'm going to roll my green dice to counter yours, I'm going to roll my green dice, and I'm going to add my defense to it. Ty goes to defense. It's that simple. Okay. But if he loses, your wound is that green becomes red, and it rolls a D6, not a D12. So it is the effect of getting weaker by the colors going from the stoplight, you no know, green, yellow. And, nice and intuitive. And if you, because we wanted this game to be faster, yes, we put all the predetermined dice rolls on the character card for the monster. Okay. So if you're going against the bandit, his rolls are just there. So all the character just rolls against the card. And if you beat the number on the card, you defeat it. If you fail against the card, something happens to you. It says it on the card. If you crit, then something good happens and you get to have maybe exploding dice or you get to put an elemental effect or something on the target. If you fumble, which is a one, then it's on the card what happens to you. Okay. So in in Mr. Torg's Arena of Badassery, there's an AI in there where Torg will call out announcements. He'll say, and today in this corner, this happens. And when that card comes down, it will tell you what everybody is going to do. Okay. It will say, everybody on the table, attack the closest miniature. If there isn't a closest miniature, go to the spotlight. The spotlight, so to sort of uh, set the game behavior for that round. Yep. And the spotlight is literally the the spotlight camera that's being filmed for the Echo Net that's flying around, who is focused on at that particular time. And this is the focus point in the game. So if you fumbled, hey, the camera's on you. You are now in. And everybody starts tacking into you. It's the opportunity that you can actually use that to drag mobs around, to get them to go where you want, unless you whiff a dice or can't do something. Um, there are some people that, um, especially Euro gamers, I'm definitely an Ameritrash guy, but Euro gamers out there that just want to be able to predetermine, what we sure. end up doing is we added what we call a luck token. So it's basically a mulligan. Everybody can have two to three mulligans during a mission. That if you whiff something, it gives you the opportunity to go back and do that. And so as you're doing this, it, this is a meat grinder. You are grinding people up. Things are coming out. All of the Volt Hunters do their thing. All the mobs do their thing. And then if there is loot on the table, you loot 
and you can grab things going the way through. If you have a character that is immune to fire and all you have is a fire weapon, you spend an action. You swap out one of the weapon cards you have in your hand. So you're collecting weapons while you're playing. So every single person you kill, you reach into the bag of fat loots and you pull out something and you put it down and it might be money. It might be a weapon. It might be a shield, just like in Borderlands. Oh, sweet. Yeah, you know what? That's one of the biggest straws of Borderlands. I'm liking the sound of this so far. Tell us a little bit about how you incorporated the Borderlands story into the game. So the story behind this, we've had people, it's like, you know, how can you put Roland in there with Borderlands 3 stuff? Because Mr. Torg hacked a new use system. He discovered that Hibernia was recording everybody's essence every single time it went into the new use system. So he can respawn people at any time he wants for his own entertainment. So when people call this an arena game, while it is an arena, the arena can be anywhere. He flies in with the ship. He puts his essentially drop pods down. Poof, poof. New use station here. New use station there. Camera there. Camera there. Stadium there. Hey, there's a whole bunch of wobble gobblers. Awesome. Let's do it. And off they go. It is so fun. Games take 15 minutes to 30 minutes per game. And there's a campaign system as it goes through. If you succeed, the intermission in all of this, and anybody that was into Spartacus, there was a, you know, the kind of market phase on the inside. That so now you have this opportunity to change your stuff in and upgrade your weapons. Because Marcus will bring in legendaries. He'll bring in different stuff. And you can have this stuff. And in the video, you know, you might hear Torg say, accept my sponsorship and win fabulous prizes. So He's you can good. be there. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of Torg. Yeah, I so, can tell. It's good. So you, if you accept his sponsorship at the right time, Torg might throw you a rocket launcher. You know, maybe Moxie shows up and, no, you don't want that, honey. You want this. And so you take her thing instead. There are so many opportunities to be storyful and still play within that wonderful Borderlands universe, experience the characters, experience the cards. And then the boss fights are pretty epic. Um, if, if you look at the renders and stuff on this, mm-hmm. um, the Psycho Reaver, he's like five times taller than the miniatures. He's, he's <laughs> enormous. And then we've got Skagzilla out there, which is this monstrous size thing on the outside that does his thing. And then who knows what we're going to be at The way we're funding right now, we could end up being something crazy by the time this is done. Well, let's transition it right there. Uh, You know, I can tell just listening to you that there is definitely a love for Borderlands. Uh, You got to work on your Moxie impression a little bit. (laughs) uh, Torg is spot on. We've got the Kickstarter live. Now, listeners can go and see the components for themselves. But you know what? They might be listening in the car, might be at work. I saw there's like 400 cards in here. The base game, what was it? 45 miniatures. Tell us a little bit about what's going to be in that box that shows up at our door. Loots, loots, more loots. (laughs) The main core faction when you buy in is lots of psychos. So the idea is you're out in the desert, Torque drops his new use stations down, he sets up the arena, brings in his cameras, filming starts, and you're out there getting ready to battle. A story mission will pop up that you have, and we have dozens of stories that we've already worked out that are wonderful. Mm-hmm. You flop this thing down, it tells you how to set up your hexes. The core game comes with like 80 hexes. Now I'm going to call it a hex. You might have three hexes in a row connected. They might be different shapes, but mm-hmm. there is the equivalent of almost four and a half meters worth of hexes. If oh, you good Lord. Ooh, on the table. And they're double-sided. So you have the outside on one side. The other side has a more interior view on the inside. 
you lay this out the way you want. If you're doing mission, you can also just freeform it. You lay it out what you want. You put the guys on, you start grinding it up. Sure. And that's a lot of fun too. You got your spawn points and everything that get out there. The mission will tell you, all right, put two psychos here, put a badass here, you know, two Goliaths here and put a badass tank over here. That's your setup. Uh, let's bring out Iron Bear. So I'm going to put Iron Bear down on the table and, you know, maybe I'll put Salvador on the table. So you'll put your equivalent down. The table has its side mm-hmm. and then you play. And if you have an action on a card, you move and you play that card until your actions are either spent, flipped over and used. Or you can pause and say, all right, I'm done with this guy and go on to the next one. So where the reaction system gets its name is that if you are attacked, only if you are hit, then you are allowed to react with an action that you have available if available. Mm -hmm. So this gives you the opportunity, damn, I got hit, run, and you run. Or no, drop to a knee and start firing. That gives you an opportunity to interrupt the turn and go back in that little bit of Overwatchness, for lack of a better word, sure, sure. really we'll, we'll changes up how this whole thing works. Now, John, with the Kickstarter, yeah, it's been awesome. It's doing great. It's doing amazing job Dang right Buster. now. You've got all sorts of things added on there. In your wildest dreams, you think we're going to reach X amount of money. Well, it's probably going to go way past that. So, are there any things that are going to be added on or add-ons you can purchase later on that are going to keep people coming back to the Kickstarter and getting more people into it? Like all Kickstarters, when you go out, you really have no idea how it's going to do. You set an expectation with, you know, from the business side, you have a licensing expectation or I am willing to bet X amount of dollars that I can do so much stuff. So you do a guarantee. I might guarantee a couple hundred thousand dollars to sell or something. And you come up with a number that you are confident you can sell from past experience and what you can do from it. And you look out at things like Witcher and some of these other campaigns that did $8 million, some of these crazy numbers that were mm-hmm. out there. If there was ever a game of fandom that could do, because I had Firefly experience and I felt mm-hmm. that this in a way kind of felt like a video game it's not Firefly, but the fandom behind it. If you got people cosplaying on a regular basis, if you got people putting tattoos on their body of what it is they're dealing with, that's fandom. This could and should, done right, it should be a seven-figure Kickstarter. But the conservative in me is like, oh my God, but if it doesn't and we invest all this time, you're going to have this horrible thing. So you sit back and you're like, all right, let's plan for success. Best case scenario, million dollars would be epic. Let's go Mm -hmm. for it. And at the end of the day, you plan that, okay, this game, if it succeeds and gets to this point, this is how much it's going to cost. And then after that, you're like, all right, but now if it fails, what does the price have to be? I've done Kickstarters in the past where I almost charge retail. And the problem with charging retail is that there's no value in it. People on Kickstarter want discount they went crazy crazy <laughs> yeah yeah and everything else and you got shipping and everything it's it got it's just so expensive so you sit back and you're like all right we'll give it a go you know people don't realize you know you sculpt 60 figures you know you figure a thousand dollars a piece by the time you're done sculpting and the amount of time that that takes just to kind of get there mm-hmm. and you're into this for three or four months of time and real money doing prototypes and everything else because people need to be able to see it. 
in order to have some a reviewer look at it before you go live and do the play test, there has to be physicals. So you can't fake it all in. Now You've there are already got to have some skin like in the game. Pop simulator and stuff like that that can get away with some stuff. But for this, now I wanted people to really look at it and look at the quality of the figures and see what things are. So we went ahead and did all of that work for it. And then um, when the time comes, you just cross your fingers and turn it on. And because I have had Kickstarters that did not do what I wanted them to do, it's really scary. And mm, for a small yeah. company, sometimes you are literally bidding the house when you pull that trigger. The behind the scenes of Kickstarters is why do people only show two or three stretch goals? Because you haven't put in the money value of that stretch goal yet because you don't know how it's going to fund. You might never even hit that point. Sure. Exactly. And mm -hmm. and you, you've already kind of decided that you want people to get this content. Our numbers right now are set up because everything that we designed, I want to be in the game. And because I know we're getting that there now, the value of this is going up literally every minute. The core game, you know, you've got, what, three sculpts. But now here's two of the alternate pose. Here's two of another alternate. Everyone in all these different psychos all over the Kickstarter page. It's glorious. Yep. yep. And I am not a fan of Happy Meal figures. I My figures need to look good. So I want to paint. So that's what I'm focused on, making this stuff look good. Um, if you jump on our website at some point, you will see some gorgeous uh, models that were painted by Angel. And um, you look at these things and you're just like, this is like Golden Demon level stuff. And you're just like, <laughs> he nailed the art so good. These can be painted amazingly well. So anyway, as far as unlocks go, what we are doing now is we are filling out the core game. So even people that feel like the lower tier isn't getting stretch goals. Well, you are because we are unlocking right. more variation within the core box as it goes through. So all of this content that is making the other one look better, if they're in both, that's all also in the first one. I didn't think that was clear enough. There yeah, I saw a lot of questions that coming so We're actually that. in the process of changing the campaign right now just so people can see there is value there. And then as we go through, just the reality of this box, you know, you got this six pound box worth of oh. stuff on the core <laughs> game. Now double it up again for the next one. It's not cheap. We're going to spend hundreds of thousands, if not half a million or more money making this game. The margins mm -hmm. aren't crazy when it's done. But when you're finished, I want everybody to have all of the characters they think they should have playing. I don't want anybody to be disappointed. Just keep watching the unlocks. Oh, and if I'm, we get I'm, to I've a got point, my eyes glued to it. And if we Stay get tuned. to a point where everything is unlocked that we have done and finished, if you see a black silhouette on a gray or on a color background, mm -hmm. that means we are committing to do that model based in the, the exact same style that we did the rest, but we just haven't gotten to it yet. Haven't had that render created yet. That, well, that makes yep. sense. Mm -hmm. John, how yep. long is the Kickstarter live until? Uh, we are going to go live until Wednesday, December 22nd, I believe at 2 p.m., so adventures, that means you've got you know, uh, 13 days, 13 days from the time that this airs. If you're listening on your way to PAX, maybe uh, bust out the phone and check out Borderlands, Mr. Torg's Arena of Badassery on Kickstarter. John, before we let you go, we're going to give you the opportunity to do a sign off and you know tell us where the website is and all that sure. happy stuff. But we always like to make sure that designers get a chance to level up when they come on the show. 
Mm. I'm going to ask you eight questions, and I just want you to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Scott, do you have the stopwatch? I have the stopwatch ready to go. All right, Are you all set? I'm ready. Go. Excluding Borderlands, what is your favorite game that you have designed? Spartacus. Coffee or tea? Coffee. It appears that Star Trek Ascendancy was co-designed. You are joined by Aaron Dill and Sean Swigert. In a no-holds-barred wrestling match between the three of you, who would win? (laughs) Me, hands down. (laughs) Can you name the Beatles? Ringo is the only one coming to mind. Paul McCartney, uh, I don't remember there, too. John, if I'm enjoying a retro cartoon with characters named Hawk, Stalker, Snake Eyes, Grunt, Zap, amongst others, what cartoon am I watching? Go, Joe. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Can you ride a horse? Hell yeah. Of all the popular hit movies out there, which one is the worst? I like them all. I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of bad movies. Fair enough. I love the movies. For yeah. 25 bucks, would you eat a meeple? In a second. <laughs> I've done it. Time. Hey, well done. Just, Scott, that was the smoothest one of these we've had yet. I think it was. He, he, them he, all. he was on top of things. That's, your, your, uh, that's your a level beetle, up. Then. Your beetle question messed me up. Hey, well, hey, seven out of eight ain't bad. We've had some, uh, we've had some rough, rough goes with that. John, we've got the Kickstarter live until the twenty second. Tell us uh, the website where we can go to find out more. Obviously, the Kickstarter, but you know, if I want to read some more about the, about the game, the collaboration, your history, uh, etc., give us some ideas where we can find out more. Yeah, you, you can go to monsterfightclub.com and there are all kinds of buttons on there to take you where you need to get once you get into that website. And you can jump to Kickstarter where we are on the front page featured right now, as well as at the top of the three gaming sections that are out there. Love it. John, thank you so much for your time today. It has been wonderful talking to you, hearing all the background of your amazing life and what you brought into the gaming for everyone to enjoy. We cannot thank you enough for the time you spent with us. Uh, it was a pleasure at any time. Scott, I got to tell you, I had no idea that John was the Gale Force 9 guy, the original Gale Force 9 guy. You had to be losing your mind when he was talking about old school Warhammer. Oh, he started talking about the movement trays and the old GF9 stuff, the battle wagon. Oh, my God, the battle wagon. That was a huge deal whenever that thing came into town. What's the battle wagon? The battle wagon was basically your bits wagon. They would come in with this van. And the whole big thing with Warhammer is you wanted to be able to make your little figures how you wanted them to look. You would be able to say, I want this arm, this head, a couple of these axes, and that will make up what I want. Well, they had a van that would come around and have all that stuff in the back of it. So they would bring in an order form. You chalk off what you want. They go in the van, pull it out. Boom. There you go. And it was just a wonderful, I mean, it was like whenever the Sears wish book would show up and everything at your house, (laughs) you get that thing there and oh my God, it was such a good time getting that because it was so difficult to order the pieces. You would order them, they'd have to ship them and you'd be waiting for however long to get them. But no, that was just a wonderful time whenever the Battle Wagon would show up. That's how they did it. Battle Wagon was the Kickstarter of the early 90s. Oh, man, <laughs> that, that just takes me back. And then just on a side note, the one thing that was really kind of funny that kind of made the whole thing with the Battle Wagon start falling apart, they had an accident in their warehouse where oh, no. one shelf with all the bits fell down and then another one and another one. And they all like fell dominoes. down. Like dominoes. Yes. 
some people may actually remember this, but this was just a wonderful time here for, for Warhammer people. They actually would sell bits by a pound or however many pounds you want. <laughs> they just shovel they them up off the floor. With, literally, they would go in with a shovel just in some <laughs> area. You wouldn't know what you're getting. Boom. There you go. You got two pounds of uh, pewter miniatures. Arms. You might get arms. Uh, one of my friend got like two or three War Master armies. Just happened to be in that section that uh, they were uh, shoveling at. So that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Good times. Lots of good memories. Oh man, I I had no idea that John was involved with so many of my fond memories from growing up. Well, Scott, I am itching to go play some Borderlands, so we're going to end this side quest episode here. Adventurers, stick around next week. Our regular episode, our review game, is going to be Factory 42. Depending on when we record, we might be talking packs. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Hey, if you're going to be in at uh, packs, we'll be walking around. We'll have our hats on, our shirts on. Try and find us, and ah, we'll have a chat and see what you've been excited about. Please buy us a beer. <laughs> That's it, folks. This is literally the greatest thing that has ever happened. Show's over. Thank you so much for joining this adventure of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.